QU collaboration is based on the simple concept that collaboration is our view for the path forward. We are able to do more as a community when we work together. We are stronger as a faith community when we are connected to one another. And here in New York State, through our state action network and through vibrant congregations from Buffalo and Albany to the Fourth Universalist in Manhattan and Croton on Hudson and all over, we are working to connect. My name is Reverend Daniel Lawler. I am the co-director of UU Ministry for Earth and the minister at UU Croton on Hudson in the Hudson Valley in New York. And this evening, we are honored with so many voices who will be reflecting on spirituality and the climate crisis. Last month, we looked at Pacific Island students fighting climate change and the work of UU Service Committee. And next month, in December, we'll be looking at climate disaster response and how local congregations here in New York are responding to extreme weather. I am so honored to say once again, thank you to all of those who have worked to make this event happen, particularly New York Universalist State Convention, which has helped provide the funding for tonight's event. I am honored to introduce Reverend Joan Montagnes, who's from the Unitarian Universalist Church of Buffalo to lead us opening and gathering meditation and prayer. Hello, it's good to be with everybody. And let us begin with a prayer. Let us join our hearts and minds in a quiet moment of prayer, reflection, and meditation. Spirit of life and love, remind us, if only for this hour, not to look away, but to turn our focus, our full attention to a problem so enormous, so ungainly, so vital, that it fades into a background heaviness, ignorable and invisible next to everyday tasks, shopping lists, chores, and assignments. This evening, if only for an hour, spirit of life and love remind us to name the enormous problem of climate change as our own. Help us to focus our hearts and recommit our lives to healing the whole. Spirit of life and love, we hold in our hearts our siblings who suffer from storms and droughts intensified by climate change. We hold in our hearts all species who are losing habitat. We hold in our hearts decision makers, legislators, and corporate leaders who have the ability to make change. May they, with our help, feel the call to justice. We pray for healing that the web of life may be mended through courageous, creative action, through adaptation and mitigation. We pray that the love and wisdom we have might inspire our communities so we may with integrity stop looking away, so we may find deeper compassion so we may do our part to care for the great family of all things and the generations yet to come. 
spirit of life and love remind us to live and love such that life and love may continue on this good green planet earth. So be it, blessed be, and may the gathering say, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for those beautiful opening words. My name is Ember Kelly, and I am the Director of Religious Education at the Fourth Universalist Society in the city of New York. I use she and her pronouns, and I am so honored to be a part of this collaborative team and to get to help moderate uh, this discussion tonight. And we're going to have a really great discussion considering uh, the impact of climate, the climate crisis on our own spirituality and on religious communities. Uh, and I'm really excited to sit down with this great uh, group of panelists. We have the Reverend Dr. Leonisa Artizone, uh, who is with UU Ministry for Earth, as well as a variety of other contexts. Jane Ahn, who is a Vassar College graduate, uh, and Reverend Sam Trumbor of the UU Society of Albany. So I'd like to start us out with a slightly more simple question, because UUs, as well as our panelists here, we come from a variety of broad religious experiences. So maybe in just a couple of sentences, because we could probably do an entire panel just on naming our own spiritual experiences, could you uh, summarize uh, how exactly you would name your religious experience? Uh, Reverend Sam, would you like to take us off on that one? Sure. Um, I used to call myself a uh, Sufi Buddhist, Christian Unitarian Universalist. I have lots of influences. I'm very eclectic, but uh, my primary practice is uh, mindfulness-based Buddhist meditation, which I've been doing for a very long time and find it to be one of the most compatible uh, spiritual practices uh, for Unitarian Universalism and been happy to be bringing those two together in, in our movement. I'm also very involved with the UU Buddhist Fellowship. As someone who also has a complex name to how I would name myself, I, I can appreciate the uh, that, that one. Uh, Reverend Leonisa, what about you? Rather similar to Reverend Sam there, but um, <laughs> that's how we uh, connected through our Buddhist practice um, as UU Buddhists. But I, like Sam too, I have a a bunch of hyphens or slashes. I guess I consider myself sort of a uh, ecologist scientist uh, slash religious naturalist slash Buddhist Unitarian Universalist um, with also deep connections to um, indigenous spirituality because of time I'd spent in other parts of the country and world living and working in other communities. So um yeah, I'm. A, I guess you could say all those years of being a seeker, all these various things stuck with me. And 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 since I started off as a Catholic, that's in there as well. So um, <laughs> I think that's safe to say. That one always finds a way to sneak in there. <laughs> uh, Jane, what about for you? Um, so I actually don't have any hyphens at all. Because um, I grew up in the Methodist church, I have so many Methodist pastors in my family. So that's kind of the only religious tradition I have ever known. But it's hard for me to define my religious experience right now, because I think I'm at a point where I really want to 
explore and learn about other ways of being mindful, other ways of being spiritual. So I will go with no label for now. The, the infamous nuns. <laughs> um, so even as someone with complicated labels myself and as a millennial, I'm, I feel like I've had my own spirituality shaped by climate change, whether that was having courses about eco-spirituality in seminary or being confronted with the reality of the grief of the climate crisis. Um, I'd be curious, how would you say that you've seen your own personal spirituality, your religious journey um, be impacted by the climate crisis? Reverend Leonisa? Sure, I'll, um, huh, it's, um, I guess maybe it's, it's deepened, right? So I, I mentioned earlier, right? So I was a scientist for many years and a science educator. So I've had a very earth-based way of being in the world because I also did environmental education. Um, and then I became a UU about 15 years ago at fourth U and then went to seminary and all that stuff. Um, and I notice with each kind of successive year or more, um, you know, with I guess every passing day and more uh, awareness of the um, gravity of the situation, I feel like my spirituality just gets stronger, right? It gets deeper, right? I, I can view these issues through a very much a scientific or activist or educator lens, but it's really when I tap into my spiritual calling, my spiritual practices, and my explorations of as being basically like an interfaith person, I do feel like the climate chaos and the suffering of the world just calls me into deeper connection with my spirituality to ground me, to help me answer the questions that are like, why, you know, all those unanswerables. Um, so yeah, and, and and I guess that's it. Like, I feel like it's just, uh, it's the it's the grounding force and the force that keeps me from falling into like a pit of apathy and instead saying, you gotta get up and do it again, sister. So what what reading is gonna make that happen? You know, what's, what, what spiritual teaching or practice is gonna, um, bring you forward again and again and again. That pit of apathy can be a real challenge. Um, Reverend Sam, uh, thoughts on what how, how spirituality has been impacted by climate crisis? Well, I've been engaged with this for a long time because my sister, Dr. Susan Trumbor, is um, a fairly well-known uh, scientist who works in the area of um, soils and the ability of soils to absorb carbon dioxide. And so she and I have been talking about the climate change for 35 years or more when she was doing her PhD work in this area. And even before that, there's other climate crises that we've had. I was thinking about the ozone hole. I don't know if some of us are old enough to remember the ozone hole and it's still out there, but that was a big crisis um, earlier too. And we were afraid that we were all going to die of uh, skin cancer and be blind from the cataracts uh, that affect uh, without having the uh, ultraviolet light being screened by ozone. So um, 
there's a way in which it, it has been impacting me for many, many years. And it's, I think, within the context of the practices that I've done, that it that it's there in the background. And I, as you, as as Leonisa was talking, Doctor uh, Reverend Doctor Leonisa was talking, I was thinking about um, that this is for me partly a grief practice, because having watched the develop the the attempts at being able to address these changes. And then the failure in our ability to address those changes again and again and again um, has has felt like how do we how do we figure out a way to heal from this and yet it doesn't get better and so um, it, there's a there's a sense of of um, an ongoing dying process and that kind of connects in with with the Buddhist practice for me in that uh, uh, sickness, old age, and death are the realities that you must face in, in meditation practice. There's no escape hatch that you're going to get like the, the launching pad to, um, uh, to heaven. Uh, so many uh, evangelicals just see the planet as a place to use up on our way to blast off to heaven. And so uh I'm I'm very engaged with with how do we stay with the grief because it is in that in the loss and the grief in the suffering that I think is the opportunity for for spiritual transformation and that's what I'm seeing and working to develop in myself and my hope is not just in me but in the world is the ability for us to have a worldwide spiritual transformation to see um the, like a human evolution to allow us to see that um, it would be better for us to put the earth first, even before ourselves. And how can we how can we get to that quality of spirituality? What can what can get us there? Beautifully said, and uh, I, I resonated as you mentioned. Uh, I I I grew up evangelical, and I definitely remember. Um, the any worries about climate change being dismissed as oh that's just the signs of the end of the world and that's okay so uh, I definitely understood uh, <laughs> what you were getting at there and I think it's beautiful to turn that feeling of hopelessness not towards some imagination of the end of the world but towards what we can do about it um, Jane I'd be curious how spirituality for you has been impacted by the climate crisis so I too resonated with a lot, a lot of what Reverend Chonbor said, like the whole grief process of the planet is dying, people aren't changing fast enough, we're not making these great revolutions that are going to really not just save the planet, but save humanity. And so, um, yeah, I really resonated, or that really resonated with me a lot too. And I think as my relationship with spirituality changed, so has my relationship with the planet. Um, when I was younger and I first started learning about climate change and the environment, I really did not believe that it impacted humans. I truly was like, okay, humans are doers of evil. They're not really impacted by it. And that's why they continue to do it. And now that I'm older and a bit more educated about climate matters, I'm realizing that if we don't put people at the center of climate change, in a way that doesn't 
deprioritize the value of ecology, the value of, you know, the balance, right, of nature that exists, then, then like, what is the point of also being spiritual, if that makes sense? Because for me, I'm coming to realize that spirituality is really also about people, like a love of people, a love of community, a love of like strangers I've never met before, right? Like these are all people who experience maybe different, but quite fundamental uh, lives as me, right? Like we're all breathing the same air. We all rely on the same sun. Um, and so now, yeah, now I'm like, if I don't put people, right, at the core of what I want to do, at the core of my activism, at the core of my research, can I really be spiritual, right? Um, so that's where I'm currently feeling right now in terms of spirituality and climate change. Like, again, not trying to make people the center, right? Not trying to focus all the attention on people, but understanding that if we don't first comprehend why we're treating the planet like this in the first place, then we will never come to a solution, I think. Um, I also grew up in a Korean household and in Korea, um, Korea is like a very, a very Christian, like a very established Christian country. And there's this prevalent belief that like, if you are wealthy, if you are rich, that means God has blessed you. And so like more materialism, more consumption, more exploitation of the planet. And so that has really, it's really sad to see when like spirituality is then being kind of turned against people in that way. Um, but yeah, I think people are important, people's stories and relationships with the planet matter. So Jane, I'm actually going to go after, go, get you for this next question first, uh, because uh, we know each other through working on a course uh, together at Fourth Universalist, where we explored spirituality and uh, religion as part of a multi-week course that uh, Fourth Universalist offered. So I'm curious, um, both for you first, Jane, but then for the others, uh, what are ways that you see faith communities, you see churches, see religious nonprofits being able to address climate change in like unique ways? I think faith communities need to step up and act as leaders of climate change because at least right, in my personal view, um, and just from like what I've seen, if I sit here and I claim to be like a Methodist and I'm like, okay, like I, I am a Christian, I grew up in the Methodist church, like I believe in all of this, then how, how can I ignore the fact that the planet has been created with such precision, such balance, such detail, right? Like, I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or not. I don't really know what... <laughs> But like other, like what you, you, um, religious practices look like or the relationship with the Bible looks like. But my dad's also a pastor and he and I were talking about how there's actually two creation stories in Genesis. Um, and the first creation story, I actually forget, but one creation story is very much like equality. Like humans need to, like humans are not um, like conquerors of the planet, but we are caretakers, we're caregivers of the planet. And then the other creation story is okay, like the planet is yours, do whatever you want with it, like just strip, <laughs> strip like all its resources from it, right? And so I kind of struggle with that a lot, but I really love the one part in Genesis where God sees that Adam is lonely 
and they're like, okay, we need to give Adam a partner. We need to give Adam some sort of companionship. And the first thing God does is bring all the animals to Adam. And I thought, oh, why did he bring, or like, why did like they bring all the animals to Adam? And the more I thought about that, the more I, I'm thinking, maybe it's because we need to have a relationship with the planet. And I think so many faith communities just don't have that relationship with the planet. Um, I remember, and actually <laughs> Professor Artazoni's class, we read a bunch of readings um, from different faith communities who really took their faith and used it as motivations and catalysts for climate change. I think one of the like, most impactful ones I saw was from a pro-abortion group that was talking about like clean water and clean air. And I thought, oh my goodness, <laughs> a pro-abortion group is like advocating for clean water and clean air rights. Like that's actually pretty cool and a little bit unexpected. Um, so I do think faith communities need to like take more seriously the fact that this planet, it's very clear to me at least that there is a design in this planet and faith communities need to take that more seriously and really see that as sacred and say, okay, this planet clearly designed by someone with great care and great love, how are we going to honor that? So I think that's kind of the starting step and then they need to you know, go on and each take their roles and do what they feel is the best for the planet. Thanks so much, Jane. Uh, Reverend Leonisa, how about you? How do you see faith communities being able to address climate change in unique ways? Um, well, well, J Jane did mention a little bit about the course before, that I teach, so I think about this a lot. But I, I'll start with this, you know, corny self-quoting. Um, when I started to do, like, so my my climate work was mostly as a science teacher. I started teaching thirty years ago, right, and that was really. But then when I shifted it with, with the more of a religious spiritual bent, I, I came up with this little quote that I use and says, um, science provides us with the evidence, our faith compels us to act. And I think about that all the time, that it's this two-handed, and, and I'm reminded too that, you know, there's lots of talk about, oh, technology can fix this thing. And, and we, you know, exactly, right? Like we can do it because we'll just build this or we'll, and then, and and I get all that and I followed all that. And then I was like, no, no, no. What we're needing is a fundamental shift and how we view the world to Jane's point, like how we have a relationship with the planet. And that's a spiritual transformation that has to occur. Um, and so I feel very strongly akin to Jane because we've read lots of articles. I should let everybody know. I teach a course every spring at Vassar College called Science, Spirituality, and Peace. And we address climate change through the lens and we look at um, various faith perspectives, scriptural and case studies, right? And what's wonderful is you just see how many groups are out there, right, who are interested in this. Um, so I, and to use the language of my, so I'm a co-organizer of a green faith circle called the Rivers and Mountains Green Faith Circle up here in the northern, uh, mid-northern Hudson Valley. Um, and we did an action a few weeks ago and we the language was moral imperative, right? And religious folks like to claim moral authority, but what do we use that moral authority for? Is it for, you know, getting wealth because God has put his or her favor on you? Or is it the moral authority to say, 
we we have a connection to this place and every living thing on it and we have a, con a commitment to the flourishing of all this life and thus faith communities are those voices they're the I, I, and if you read research like a uh, pew does this wonderful research every few years and people listen to their pastors, right? Oddly enough, maybe, I don't know if I did when I was a kid, but you know, maybe. But um, but if people listen to their pastors, then pastors have an important, important and probably incredibly impactful role to be talking about climate chaos, how it's impacting people around the world and what we can do from the local to the communal to the global economic, all those levels. So I, I, you know, I can't, I guess, state enough how strongly I feel that religious communities need to be leaders in this and whatever that looks like. Yeah. Reverend Sam, thoughts on how faith communities can address con the climate crisis? Oh, well, um, just say, I don't know that at least in Unitarian Universalist circles, I think uh, people listen to their their pastors, if they were willing to even use that term, to argue with them rather than to follow them. <laughs> but anyway, the thing that uh, I see in our congregation is we have a really strong Green Sanctuary Committee, and these folks are doing all kinds of stuff. They helped us get our solar panels on our congregation. Um, we don't use uh, any... Um, plastic wear. We don't use uh, paper plates. We we wash everything. Uh, we have all different kind of programs inside of our congregation. And then being in Albany, we're also pretty frequently trying to work down at the Capitol doing stuff, trying to advocate for legislation, doing petitions, uh, trying to be in contact. So that that activist piece, I think, is, is really important. But the for me, the, the spiritual development that happens is the community that happens on those in, the, in that kind of work. And that's the, the way that the, the spiritual kind of sneaks in among my mostly atheist uh, climate change people, that, that they are, um, the kind of community they experience together is, is very beautiful. I, there's a woman, unfortunately, who, who um, died very recently in her, I think she's 42, uh, Megan Marone was her name. And uh, I don't know if it got out down your, any the news outside of Albany, but uh, she um, was chaired our, our, our committee for a little while before joining uh, the Extinction Rebellion, which was a little more to her favor than what we could do. And I, um, I was so impressed with the, because she was missing for a while. And just the emotion and the feeling of connection we had for her, even though she left us, that there was there was just this strong sense of connection to her. And that the, um, and for me, that was sort of a validation of the beautiful kind of community that happens. And it's the kind of community that I wish we could do better at building, not just within one congregation, but between congregations, this is my plug now for New York UU Justice, to, to be able to expand between of our congregations and then take the next step and then cross into other 
denominations besides Unitarian Universalist, Methodist, maybe, because they're often on the same page with us on, on social justice work. So um, that's the kind, because we know none of us can do this work by ourselves. It's, it is the work that we do together. And that's when the, the spirit, I think, moves in us most powerfully. I'll stop there. Thank you. Um, so I am someone who has jumped from, I grew up non-denominational, had a Pentecostal school, joined a Calvinist church, joined a Catholic church, joined a Lutheran church, uh, the United Church of Christ before ending up in the UUA. Um, and so um, I can acknowledge that each of these denominations has their own strengths and weaknesses, uh, and they're all very unique experiences with UUA perhaps being the most unique of them. Um, so this one is perhaps aimed more towards Reverend Sam and Reverend Leonisa. Uh, what are maybe the unique strengths and weaknesses that like the Unitarian Universalist Association uh, can have as like a religious organization to address climate change? Uh, Reverend Sam? I'm more than happy to take that one. I think what we do really, really well is pluralism. Now you go to a lot of other churches, it's like, well, you know, the other churches are, might be good, they might be doing good things, we can respect them, but we have the right way, we know how to do this. And whereas we are more on the process of, well, we're not sure we've got the right way, but we think maybe we can bring together different voices and come up with something that, that this, the, the kind of evolutionary, um, I'm using the word evolution because those of, for Unitarian Universalists, we're working on this uh, Article 2 uh, revision process, and we're looking at changing the purposes and principles to be, there's an evolutionary process happening with those. And the first draft, which is on the Article 2 Commission's website, if you can go, go see it right now, one of the things that they talk about is central to Unitarian Universalism is our commitment to the value of evolution. So, I don't know, and many other religions that are going to put evolution in their core principles and say that's what you know are one of our faiths, uh, and so that I, I think that is one of our great strengths. Is that it's also a great weakness. Let me tell you. I mean, the winds of change can easily take us onto fads, and I've certainly followed a number of those fads religiously. Uh, but I think at at the when we do our faith well, and that is in community and in relationship where we're in conversation with each other and we're, we're working and growing together, that I think the, the evolutionary nature of Unitarian Universalism is, is the genius of who we are, because we're going to be out in front, sometimes a little off to the wrong direction, but we're going to correct, <laughs> hopefully, and get back into the, into the direction of how do we create a way for uh, a faith to bridge and include and um, have a kind of affirming love, because that's who what we really have in the center of us is is love. However, we understand and cast it is God or spirit or um, or the earth itself as an organic being many ways to say what is love and and i think we have a beautiful way to do that not for everyone because the the eclectic 
and open and evolutionary approach isn't going to work for somebody who really needs something to hold on to and, and needs something to lean on. We're not a good place for that kind of person, but for the, the, the ones who go, full, go forward boldly and explore as Tranquil Streams has in its verse, um, I think we have a beautiful faith for that person. I'll stop there. I, I, I want to pick up on because I think of another piece of the pluralism, Sam, which I reverend Sam, which I think is great, is that we also, because of that, and maybe it's a blessing and a curse, because as you sort of intimated, right? Is like we have this plurality of thinking, which means we have many ways to think about how to address a problem. We also have, we tend to draw, um, um, I was going to say science-minded, but slash skeptics, slash people who really want deep understanding of something. They're not. We, we're, we tend not to be like the blind go forth the follower, right? Like we. Um, so I think that's another aspect of of who we are that works in our favor is that we speak a language that um, is an invitation to other folks who see the climate issue or climate chaos, the crisis from a scientific lens, but want support or to create community. And I think that's where we can be really valuable is being bridge builders in that way, right? And saying like, was we, you know, in any any given congregation, we will have a handful of folks who are deeply scientifically steeped, folks who are deep into the environmental work, activists, right? Lobby, like people who understand how lobbying and legislature, right? And so there's, um, that variety, that plurality there, if used, and if we have like, but we, but I guess the, the second piece of it is like having clear strategy and how to do that. And I think, you know, not to, to UU Ministry for Earth's Horn, I've only been with the organization for a few months, so that has nothing to do with me. But, you know, UU Ministry for Earth has been trying to guide a lot of that actions, you know, creating and supporting things like Green Sanctuary for, um, you know, uh, uh, on the ground actions, you know, pipeline actions, right? You know, other groups that are trying to um, bring both education and spiritual resources to, to, the you know the the variety of UU ways of thinking and and being so that we can give folks different ways to get involved, knowing fully that we need it all, but that everybody comes to us for different reasons, and then everyone's call to action shows up differently. So some folks want to do actions, other folks are want to green their sanctuary, other folks you know want, will get arrested, other folks will educate you know other folks are keen on how do we think about divestment you know other like there's like a flavor for everyone and um maybe that's the thing that i, I don't know if we're entirely unique in that from other uh, religions in terms of how we show up but i think what makes us unique is being this liberal critical um i, I hate to say intellectual because sometimes that works against us but i think there's a a, a desire to understand how we got from A to B and how the pieces of the web connect, right? And how we can peel back like the layers to understand why things look the way they look and then therefore how do we respond, if that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Got all sorts of gears turning in my head as far as my own religious education work now. I'm just like thinking as I listen, that's, uh, that's the, and the beautiful thing about these panels and getting to take part in them is getting to just 
learn as much as I am uh, helping <laughs> moderate. Um, so I'm, I have, I mentioned that, you know, I took like an eco spirituality course in seminary. I've had my own journey. We've, I've helped lead events kind of processing a little bit of the grief of, of the climate crisis. So I'm curious your thoughts as to how spirituality can maybe help empower us as we face these issues, but also how it helps us handle these complex emotions like guilt and grief and helplessness. Um, and Jane, since it's been a second since you've talked, I want to give you the first go on thoughts on how, or maybe are there anything in spirituality that really inspires you to like help care for the earth? Um, I've always thought of climate activism. It's like one big apology to the planet. Um, and something that I actually learned when I was really little was that when you apologize to someone, it means you're never gonna do what you did to them again. Um, so in that sense, when we, we need to like think of the, we need to really like recognize the earth as this living, right? This living force and say, we're so sorry, we're not gonna do that again. And then we actually need to, you know, like take the steps to do it, not just say sorry with our words, but say sorry with our actions and uh, behaviors as well. But I think in terms of spirituality, kind of helping me personally with grief and guilt, I really love the idea of just reconciliation and forgiveness how it's never too late to be reconciled. It's never too late to forgive. Obviously, like that does take time and you should like, we should honor the process, like the time process of that. But the idea that you can be so distant from something, but then through effort and through like true love and care, you can become close, right? To something you are so far from, I think is a really beautiful thing. Um, and then so kind of, with the grief part, kind of going back to what I said previously about how spirituality and climate change both need to have people um, in it. I think, I think we make a mistake when we try to shoulder the grief of climate change alone um, because it's not one person did not <laughs> create it. Um, many people, <laughs> many people kind of uh, began to change the climate in very unhealthy, very dangerous ways. And so and that means many people are going to have to come together to address that. And I think, I mean, I've, I've had my fair share of grief in life and it's, I think I've learned that it's never a good thing to isolate myself from others. Um, obviously grief is experienced individually and then grief is experienced in on larger levels. But yeah, I think, spirituality again like people being at the center of spirituality well then that's like really great because and if I'm sad like I know I can go to someone and talk to them about it like I literally went to the Reverend Dr. Leonis's like office hours and I was like I I'm so sad <laughs> the planet is in such a state and I'm so mad and angry about it but I'm also so sad and yeah I think just having a community of people who really understand or are at least trying to understand that we've really wronged the nature of like our environment, the nature of the planet, um, and then coming together to heal together and then work together to heal the earth, I think is a really beautiful thing that spirituality right, brings to climate discussions. 
Thanks so much. Uh, Reverend Sam, thoughts on uh, how spirituality can power, empower, but also help us handle these complex emotions? Well, I'm thinking about spirituality as a as an access point to getting to the place that you're willing to feel the pain. That's something I think is so important because we, I know, I know so many people that are so well defended and they are not willing to think or feel what's what they're doing. They don't see the consequences of their actions. Uh, we have a former member of our congregation, Judith Ank, who's very involved with Beyond Plastics. I don't know if any of you are aware of that, but Beyond Plastics is an amazing group and they're doing such great work. Just spend some time watching some videos about plastic and we live every single day interacting with plastic and we have a lot of choices about how to interact with, with plastic that matter a whole lot. And yet um, we may not be aware of the choices that we have in that relationship and the dangers we have interacting with plastics. There's just so much to deal with just with one little piece of the ecological problem, which is plastics. And so just to be open yourself to the information, open yourself to the emotional response to that information, just looking at the gyres in the Pacific, that's something right there. And, and once you, once you have start having some, begin to allow in that emotional uh, pain and, and then you're building the, the readiness to respond. And, and so for me, the spirituality is, that the, is kind of the practice of being willing, being open. And I, I love um, Jane's uh, wrapping that in community because it's so much easier to engage with this. And then this is where congregational life is so important. I mean, if I'm one person sitting watching a video about this versus me as a congregation sitting with my congregation and we all talk about it and we can figure out how we wanna to respond to this and maybe make some changes in what we do in our congregation, maybe what we do in our own lives. Maybe there's some process that we, we learn about, uh, I know our congregation has, has studied different kinds of recycling, you know, is it greenwashing to do this kind of recycling or is it actually going to make a difference? So that's that sharing of information. The more we don't face these things as a single person, the more we face it as a community, it's a whole lot more manageable. So that's the, there's the individual openness to being responsive. And then there's the community um, holding the pain and the response together. So that for me is is what's the most effective uh, way to respond to this stuff. Reverend Leonisa. Oh my gosh, such wonderful things said already. I'm like, oh, I, Jane, I'm just, I can't even get over the climate action is a big apology to earth. Like I, that's just, it's beautiful and uh, you're beautiful and thank you for that because I really feel like, but because part of the spiritual piece to your point too, Sam, is just being open and then to Jane's point, like 
acknowledging the harm, but not turning it into like a self-martyrdom or there's nothing I could do, right? Or like a, or, or derailing yourself, right? Because then that's where the track goes to apathy, right? Or the grief becomes so overwhelming. And then that's, you know, we, and that leads you nowhere. You can't get off the couch, you know, or whatever. So um, I, I think the spiritual piece though, and I, I think I sort of alluded to this earlier, but I think a lot about it is like, it's the, it's, it's what grounds us. It's what feeds us. It's what reminds us that we're not alone to the community point or even to the grand divinity point. And I think there's a spiritual piece too that when we become more open to this awareness and this reconciliation and even maybe the gratitude piece that's in there, the acknowledgement, the willingness to understand, um, I think an important part of that spirituality is also the recognition of kind of the divinity of nature, our own divinity, the divinity of all life and which not everybody goes for, I get that, but that's one way of like a reminder that this care and this reverence and reciprocity, maybe that's a way to think about it, right? Like, so it's part of it is also just thinking about which are the, your underlying like, spiritual values or those the spiritual ethos that carries you through the world what's it grounded upon um and i think at, since i spend a lot of time in interfaith spaces right because i'm a community minister and i'm also part of an interfaith green faith circle and i work at a university where we have lots of interfaith collaborations right it's that's really interesting too because we see that different aspects of spirituality are what call people either into action or into community or into healing. So I think part of the um, spiritual piece is just also like, is just, is just being okay with also the unknown, but then saying, I'm going to take this unknown and I'm going to understand more. And my spiritual drive is to understand more relationships right divinity uh, um uh, the role i have to play um and i and i would say too that like we can't skirt around the grief too right like we and but that's a spiritual practice like living honoring the feelings living into the sadness the grief the despair the oh my god i don't know if, what to do i feel useless feeling it living into it and then you know picking yourself up again when you're ready to say well i did that part now now what right now now what and who do i turn to to help remind me that this is a uh, this is the work right this this is the work right for you know that yeah thank you all those were beautiful i'm probably going back and watching that again to think about all of those different prompts um, so we may only be two into our second of these four panels, but we have already established a tradition. Uh, and our tradition is that as we round out our discussion time, uh, that we want to give the panelists an opportunity to ask each other a question. So whether that is to a specific one of your other panelists or to everybody in general, um, Reverend Lenis, I saw a lot of excitement on your face, so perhaps I will uh, call on you to be the first to ask a fellow panelist a question. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> I 
you misread my face, Ember, but thanks. No, I'm kidding. It was dread. No. <laughs> um, I, I'm curious from my panelists, because I know, I mean, I, I have thoughts about this for myself, because I know there's things I do. I guess I would like to ask the panelists if there's a particular spiritual practice or practices that you do um, daily, weekly, or when you're in a slump or when you're looking into the hole and you're like, I don't want to go into the hole. What's the spiritual practice that's going to support me or guide me? I'd be curious to know what, um, if there is a spiritual practice you'd want to share with the rest of the group that helps you feel grounded, guided, empowered, or uh, inspired. Yeah. Well, the, the one that comes forward for me is, um, I think of it as a spiritual practice, but it's not a formal spiritual practice in that there's a particular ritual or technique that, that you do with it. It is, it's more of a commitment that when I'm in a situation of confrontation or trouble, I want to move towards it rather than away from it. And that for me um, takes courage, but it also, sometimes I know that I'm ready. I feel the readiness to do it when my heart, and I can feel my heart being full, even though my somebody might be attacking me, I still, there, I, there's a way that I've connected with their humanity and then I can move toward it, that person. And I, um, we, we live right now politically in such a divided time. And I don't have enough, sadly, I don't have enough practice doing this. Um, um, braver angels are my saints working on this. I think they're doing great work to try to bring people to cross those boundaries. But I'm thinking that, um, that in, in dealing with the resistance because there's so much resistance, especially people in my congregation who just don't want to deal with this. The more that I can can hold them in my heart and move towards them in some way and engage with their resistance, you know, and, and hear them, particularly hear deeply what's going on with them and where their fears, where their anxieties, and where maybe their hopelessness is and their unwillingness to face that. That it's being willing to walk into the pain. That's the spiritual practice that that I'm trying to live every day. In many different ways, climate in other ways. <laughs> I think for me, I at this current point in time. I feel like there's not much I can do individually. So when I feel in a slump or I feel like I can't do anything, then I literally just go outside on a walk. I don't listen to music on my headphones and I, I love my headphones so much. Um, I just go outside and I walk and I look up and I just like look at the leaves and I look at the sky and I look at the houses and I'm like, these people also deserve to like breathe clean air and drink clean water and have and like step on clean soil. Like it's okay that I feel sad right now, but let's not let that bog you down because 
obviously if I don't do it someone else is like there are so many people who care for the planet like but still like I would want to be a part of that like I would rather I think I would rather this sounds kind of morbid but I think I would rather go down fighting than go down sitting um and so I just try to it's very it's yeah it's really not a big profound thing I, I literally just go on a walk and I look at the sky as I walk but it really reminds me like I'm doing this for a pretty good reason um and like that is enough to keep me motivated and going knowing that I'm not alone and feeling that way but it's all right because I'll get I'll get through it and it'll come again but it's okay I'll get through it again <laughs> yeah well, Jane, if you're going to go down fighting, then I'm going to surprise you by having you be the next one to ask a question of your fellow panelists. So this might be a bit of a big question, but we're kind of living in an age where things are going very digital, right? We have the metaverse now. We have NFTs. Um, money is no longer like real currency. Like currency isn't physical anymore, right? People pay with their cards, right, or their phones. I think you can even pay with like your palm, right? They take your palm print or like your fingerprint at certain stores. I've seen it, it's ridiculous. So I guess, how do you, how do you, when you see like everything going so digital, going so immaterial, how do you then remind others and yourself that the physical, right? Like that's what's really important. Like we can't let go, right? Of the concrete things of the world without going into materialism. Does my question make sense? Right, like how do we battle, right? People saying, oh, we can just artificially create soil in the future, right? Like how do we, how do we address that? It's a big question, I know. That's a great question. <laughs> no, how much time do we have? No, no, so like no, but I a, a, a shortish or answer or way to think about it is um I mean I think you bring up an excellent point like the more things feel automated then it's really easy to be removed, right? We get we remove the interaction between humans and humans and then humans and the lived world and the living world and other living things. But I think you hit it to some extent because so much of it is um, grounded in um, what we call progress, which I would say is really maybe capitalism. And I would say maybe as a Buddhist, I feel like I like to point out to people that a lot of that is illusory, right? It's an illusion. And so if we get wrapped up into these things that don't feel tangible or real, um, we miss the good stuff, which is the real stuff, right? The the rubbing your hand against the bark of a tree, the walking barefoot, the having a conversation with a friend or the walking with your cats, you know, playing with your cats, right? Which Jane and I have in common, you know, but like, um, so, I, you know, I do spend a lot of my time talking to people about the perils of capitalism. And I feel like that's how I would think about your thing. Like I, I actually say to people, capitalism is killing us, right? And I, I don't mean that, that's not hyperbole. That is, I feel that way. And so I worry, and it always reminds me of the Lorax. Remember he says, frankly, I think progress progresses too much. And I think that there's such a 
thing as allowing progress to get this momentum and unbridled progress, just like unbridled capitalism. And so I think at the very least, we have conversations about what's real, what's not real, what is this, what does it mean? And what do we lose when we gain, and when we gain a different technology, right? Something, maybe that's me, it's not really a zero sum, but something gets lost when we rely on these other things. And what is that? And is it worth losing? versus saying, I don't know, it's a bigger conversation, but that's where I'm starting from. Yeah. Mm. What came to mind for me was uh, the matrix, of course, and being absorbed in the matrix, or um, I have an intern who's 24 and intern minister, and he really wanted us to try out uh, VR headsets, you know, and so I was trying VR and I'm thinking, mm, this doesn't work for me. But the place where my, I felt most deeply connected uh, to the environment, to the earth, is going on a meditation retreat. Because um, when I, when I'm in silence with no, I, no phone, no nothing, no electronic devices, and going out and just doing walking meditation, and you know, getting feet touching the earth, and um, walking in nature too. I mean, those are the places where that's where without having those feelings of connection, I think then we can be seduced by the digital world because that digital world is very stimulating and can be very um, exciting. But the, the awakened mind is not there. <laughs> so that's where I would go. Yeah. Reverend Sam, would you like to offer our final question to the other panelists before then we finally turn over well, to Reverend Daniel for a prayer after that? All right. Well, mine's really quick. It's really, what interfaith partners have you worked with that you're inspired by what they're doing? Well, I could, I, I'm again going to just talk about green faith because that's, I've uh, been working with them. I, um, I really am inspired by what Green Faith does. Um, I love my personal Green Faith group, but I love also what Green Faith is doing. I've been on calls with people from all over the world and it's like so inspiring. And my colleague, Michael is on the call tonight and he does an amazing work on divestment through the Green Faith lens. And um, he's really been inspiring me. And actually, um, so I encourage folks to check out one of our Rivers and Mountains Green Faith uh, divestment workshops. So, so I'll stick with green faith. I'll let uh, someone else go um, because there's others, but that's what's on my mind. Um, in April, actually, I got the chance to work with the UU. Um, like as Emma was saying previously, um, Professor Leonisa, and then also my friend Julio, like the three of us worked together to kind of create a, like a climate class like a climate course and I was just so blown away and so like so much admired the fact that like a religious like organization was doing this and so now it's inspired me to try to <laughs> convince my dad to like put you know solar panels on the roof of our church and try to replace you know the grass with like moss or native plant species or you know things like that maybe come up with like our own kind of curricula like this that would be really cool so that's what I've been inspired by.
Thank you. I want to say thank you to all of you. I, I mean, this really just was a gift um, for me and for our community just to hear the exchange. And, and again and again, like one of the things that came across was being honest, acknowledging harm, being open, but also just so many of you, Jane and Reverend Sam and Leonisa, but that healing together and that we're not alone and that we can't turn our concerns or that we don't have to turn our concerns and fears and aches inward, but that we can, can reach out and accompany one another in this moment. And that our whole faith is about accompanying in joys and sorrows so that we are not, we are not alone in this and that whoever is on this call now and the communities you're connected with, whenever you're watching this, this is, this is a reminder that you're not alone. You're not the only one thinking about this and that there are communities of care out there and waiting to, to be found and to grow with you. Um, I'm gonna offer a, a closing blessing. And then after that, Ember and I will share some announcements for some upcoming events and, uh, and an action uh, that we can do and that you can share. Spirit of life and love, bigger than the universe, smaller than a grain of sand. Be with us in the days and months ahead. The next two weeks are gonna be difficult. We don't know what is going to happen with the climate negotiations, the UN Climate Summit. We don't know what's going to happen in so many elections around the world where so many different voices are vying for power. Whatever happens over this time, inspire us to be voices of compassion and connection and justice. And may we remember that equity is how we connect with one another and reimagine our congregations, our relationships, and our relationship with Earth. May it be so, and may we be brave. May it be so. Thank you all for being with us tonight. If you need to sign off, you may do so. But if you'd like to stick around, Ember and I have a few announcements that we'd like to share. First and most excitedly, if you are, not most excited, but first is if you are part of a New York UU congregation and you are interested in collaborating on climate education here in the state of New York, please email either ember at re at fourthu.org or me at Daniel Lawler at uumfe.org. This is a growing working group uh, made up of congregations and the New York State Action Network. And we want to do what we can to keep climate crisis education alive and growing and connecting here in New York State.